From breaking news to local stories happening where you live, this is the Jill Bennett Show podcast. Jody Vance with you, and uh, right now we are going to take you straight to Israel. Yes, live to Israel as we connect with the senior rabbi from Vancouver's Temple Shalom, Rabbi Dan Moskovitz. You've heard him here on the radio station in the past. Today, uh, a very important conversation to be had as Rabbi Dan is on a 72-hour solidarity trip with six other Vancouver rabbis to really spread the Hanukkah love, uh, a solidarity trip, as I said, but also spending some time visiting one of the kibbutz uh, that was attacked on October the 7th, spending some time with hostage families, uh, visiting Vancouver's Ben Mizrahi's grave, meeting with other key groups. I want to bring in uh, Rabbi Dan. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Jody. Thanks for having me. And it's seven other rabbis, so a total of eight. I, I won't uh, say well, who we might have left out. I don't want to leave anybody out. There you go. Okay, thank you. My, <laughs> my mistake, my mistake. Um, now, earlier today, you did have the opportunity to meet with one of the kibbutz uh, bari, and I want uh, to play a short clip, clip from that meeting. Have a listen here. Please tell everyone that I love them, that we love them. And you could hear the screaming and the, sh- and the shooting on the phone. So we, that were 300 meters from here at our house, knew from 10 until midnight that they rescue us, that there is no more father and mother, grandpa and grandma. And we need now to fight for our lives. At something like 6 p.m., they throw grenades on our house and shoot our house. And they will keep going and coming from under the stairs from our storage because they were hiding there and also put weapons there. I'm living in the second floor. 16 years, my friends laugh at me that I don't even have one small yard and I'm, and I'm living in the kibbutz, but that was my fortress. That's what saves us. And when they threw grenades on the safe room, my son just told me that, Dad, I don't want to die here. Oh. Rabbi Dan. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. one one recounting of what happened on that horrifying day. And there are thousands of stories like that. And you're right, Jody. It was just one, uh, a man, a father of two small children. Um, his name is Lotan. And uh, his parents, uh, he'd been on the kibbutz, as he said, for 16 plus years. His parents, or his in-laws actually, uh, lived just 300 meters away. They were both killed in the attack. For people who don't understand what a kibbutz is, what, what the community is like, when, and when we're talking about in the days following uh, the horrors of the terrorist attacks of October the 7th, and people would say, that, you know, a third of this kibbutz was wiped out or taken mm-hmm. hostage and or killed. When we talk about those numbers, like everybody in a kibbutz knows one another like family. It's not like living yeah, I think in a the town. Best example, no, it's the best example is like if you've ever been to summer camp. Um, mm. I mean, a kibbutz is, it's, it's a shared community. It's, it's, its roots are socialistic. Um, nobody owns their place. I mean, they own the stuff in their place, but the, the, the house that they're living in, the cottage or whatever it is, is owned by the, by the kibbutz itself, by the collective. And as he was explaining it, you know, children will run 
from house to house, everybody's sort of everybody's parent. It's, 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 in my view, it's an idyllic upbringing. They grow up together. They, they play together. They often marry each other. They, they go off to the army together to uh, their experiences together. And it's a generational thing. And so you live there and your grand, your parents live on the kibbutz also, and maybe your children, God willing, will come back. And you all just grow up together. And there were a thousand people on this kibbutz. Um, over a hundred, about 98 of them were murdered. Another 27, I think I'm doing these numbers off the top of my head, might've been 92 mm -hmm. were murdered and 28 were taken hostage. Um, and there are still eight um, being held in Gaza. We don't know if there's to be, as of last week, some of them we knew were alive because the, the hostages that were released had been sitting with those, uh, those that were still held hostage. We don't know their condition today. We are with uh, Rabbi Dan Moskowitz, who is uh, one of eight Vancouver rabbis uh, visiting in Israel right now. And when we're talking about hostage, just the pit of our stomachs, like the, the, I cannot even begin to imagine what the hostage families are feeling like when you say, you know, a hostage that thankfully was returned to their family, then looks to the others and says, I know, I know your loved one is alive because I was with them and they're still there. What, have mm -hmm. you spoken to hostage families since your arrival there? Well, you know, we, we want to be very sensitive. So this evening, in fact, I went to, there's a, it's called Hostage Square um, here in Tel Aviv, where I'm at right now. And we went for a Hanukkah menorah lighting. And there the, the menorah was lit by one of the families of the hostages. Last night, another family um, from Canada who we thought for a while their daughter was being held hostage uh, Adi uh, Kaplun her I met up with her parents who were here that was in Jerusalem and they told me of their story uh, but I haven't and and the father of Adi was was hiding in another room he had been visiting his daughter and his grandchildren and was staying in a guest house that was that the terrorists didn't know about and so he was hiding there um, but I haven't actually had a chance yet to speak with the, the family of, of, of somebody who's currently held hostage or has been released and uh, it's not for me to, to, to impose upon them, but I, I have no. heard some of them speak and um, mm -hmm. it is, it's heart wrenching. It's just, it's, it's the most unimaginable thing. I have a parent, I'm a parent of three children and to not know who's tucking them in at night, to not know no. the condition that they're in, um, you know, even for those that have been released, they're still being held hostage by their fears, by their experience. And that will, that will traumatize them. Um, for their lifetime. It's, it is. I, I, the only words that I can come with are, are gut wrenching. It makes, it makes our stomachs collectively turn to think and, and to mm -hmm. feel incredibly helpless. Right. And, and you're doing the great work of, of being present and being a part of it and sharing from here to there, uh, the love of all people. Um, and, mm -hmm. and, and the, the family, let's talk about Ben. Let's talk about Ben Mizrahi mm -hmm. and, and, yeah. and the Vancouver yeah. man who, who, died that day um mm -hmm. he is buried there yes yeah we went to his grave so he he, he died but he was murdered and, and, and there is yes, a difference sorry, yes. right yeah uh, no, no 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 i'm not trying to correct you i just want us to, to understand okay. the context so we went to his grave on the way home from way home on the way back from the kibbutz um it's at another kibbutz it's um it's a grave amongst many. He was buried um nearby the friend um itai who he was trying to help if you remember the story, as it's been going around in Vancouver, Ben was a medic in the army, and he was with his friend Itai at the music festival, at the Nova Music Festival. And uh, they were running. Itai got hit. 
Ben could have gotten away, maybe, we don't know, but he turned around and went back to care for his friend Itai. He had been caring for others before they started to, to run, and he was shot and killed alongside his friend, and they're buried within meters of each other. And we placed, as is Jewish custom, you place a pebble, a stone on the grave to show the person's been buried. All eight of us were there. We said a, a psalm. We said, God, I lift my eyes up to the mountains, and what is the source of my help? My help comes from God, the maker of heaven and earth, Psalm 121. And uh, and we heard a story from um, members of his family who were there who talked about Ben being one of those people that's a connector, who would connect his group of friends from high school, from Vancouver, from his groups here in Israel, from his time in the army, and he would make friendships amongst his friendships. And those are special people in your life, those people that bring people together, and we lost that. I'm Jody Vanson for Jill Bennett, and I'm uh, speaking with senior rabbi from Vancouver's Temple Shalom, Rabbi Dan Moskowitz, who joins us live via Zoom from Israel. Rabbi Dan, along with seven other Vancouver rabbis, are on a solidarity trip to Israel for 72 hours. Um, and we've been s- sort of discussing, uh, Rabbi Dan, what you've what you've seen, what you've been doing. Um, I do want to address a couple of things uh, that I think it's important for our listeners because there is so much noise around um, what is happening in in uh, Israel's war on Hamas or Hamas's attack on Israelis on October seventh, and and the marches and the chants and the, the the disinformation highway is very very busy here. What could you say to our listeners who might feel um, that they're they're overwhelmed by the death toll of Palestinians here? Yeah, I'm overwhelmed by it too. I, I it is horrible the the the, the death and, and the suffering that's going on in Gaza. Um, but we have to look at the at the root cause of that, the root source of that, um, and that is that I believe that that Hamas is holding Gaza hostages, Muslims is holding the South or all of Israel hostage with its proliferation of violence, with its extremist views, with its desire to um, to, 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 to end the Jewish state and the Jewish people uh, to the extent that it can. It, it has said that it would do that. And it is putting its own people in harm's way to fulfill that that, that barbaric mission. Um, there, there, there were problems, no doubt, but there was a ceasefire before October 7th. Um, there was not mass bombings uh, and, and, and conflict happening in, in Gaza. And Israel was living with and sustaining the, the, the daily rocket barrage um, that the Iron Dome was, was, was uh, addressing. It was after October 7th that, that, you know, that all hell broke loose. Um, and it began with Hamas's attack on Israel's civilians. Many, many non-Jewish people stand firmly uh, with their loved um, practicing Jewish people, uh, as well as those who um, have um, perhaps not practiced as much as they may have in years past, but still very much feel the faith, if if I may. I have some friends mm-hmm. who speak about it, saying they feel ever more drawn t- to their faith now because of the rise in anti-Semitism and how much hate is being um, activated here what can what can I do? What can we do? I'm not Jewish, but what can I do to best support the Jewish community worldwide, given the the tension and the and the the honestly the terror that we're seeing all over the world, not just uh, in one corner of it? Well, thank you for asking. You know, look, I think that we have to begin with um, 
to never allow ideology, religious beliefs, or political positions to be a cause for hatred of another human being, that whether that is the hatred of Jews or the hatred of, 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 of people that practice Islam or some other religion or come from some other you know, cultural, ethnic uh, identity, uh, their beliefs, their ideology can't be a reason for us to hate. Um, with regard to specifically to, to anti-Semitism, um, Jews won't end anti-Semitism. We have, we have been able to, sadly, that's been proven for, for thousands of years. It's only when non-Jews stand up and call it out uh, that we can begin to see the, the corrosive nature, the, 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 the danger that anti-Semitism causes. And so often what starts with Jews doesn't end with Jews. Um, you know, the, the, the problems that, that, that we are experiencing in our community right now, the fear, the, 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 the violent rhetoric, and in some cases, the violence, it's not going to stop with us. It's, it's going to move on to the next group um, as that kind of hatred does. It, it, it is infectious. It's viral in that way. And so, you know, this is our opportunity to say, particularly in Vancouver, that this is no place for hate and that we can't allow that kind of thing to sow um, violence and hatred and discrimination in our own community. Because, Rabbi Dan, there is freedom of, of protest. Uh, you can have a voice. You can, you, can, you can feel how you feel. You can have an opinion. You can, have, you can pick a side. But there's a yeah. way to do so in a peaceful manner, if I'm reading between your lines here. And, and s- some of what we've seen, not all, but some of what we've seen has escalated to a point of feeling unsafe, even here in Vancouver, when, when some protests uh, activate. How do how do we stand up to that without um, creating more tension there? Is right. There so you don't want to way? be drawn. You don't. Yeah. You don't want to be yeah. drawn into exactly the kind of thing that you were trying to call out against. Right. So right. Uh, you know when, when when people are screaming and yelling and and, and you know they counter protest and, and I'm going to be very direct here. Um, the Jewish Please. community is not doing that. We 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 have our our assemblies at uh, you know our our demonstrations at two o'clock on Sunday at the art gallery. We are not going out to the pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas demonstrations and yelling at, at the corners of their rallies and you know shouting things that, that that you know create fear and 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 generate potential violence. We're not there. That's not true in terms of what's happening at our demonstrations and our gatherings that the, the pro-Palestine, if you want, community is coming out with threatening language, is showing up on campus and calling out uh, people that are identifiably Jewish. And my university students are feeling very threatened and, and, and very much in danger. So one, we, I, I think we need to let people have their space, you know, and we've said at all of our rallies, don't engage with the, in, in, with the counter protesters. Um, so that's one. I think we have to recognize the difference between you know, words and actions and that some words will lead to actions. And so we can't ferment hate, ferment hate. We can't encourage people, even in our rhetoric, to, you know, to take it to the next step. L- let people have their views. I, I, I respect the freedom of speech. Absolutely. I would defend your right, anyone's right to the freedom of speech, but I do not defend because nobody has a right uh, to, um, to terrorize, to, to threaten uh, to make feel unsafe another person. Truer words never spoken. Thank you. I know you you always take on the difficult uh, discussions with wisdom and facts and uh, and such clarity. I appreciate you very much, Rabbi Dan. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your trip, your solidarity trip to Israel to speak with us here back home. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Jody. We're going to have a Hanukkah party here for those that have been evacuated tomorrow night for 
a thousand people. And um, it's because of what we were able to do in Vancouver that we were able to come here and bring a little bit of light in this time of darkness. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for all that you do. I appreciate you. Thank you. Oh, the unmistakable sound of Jan Arden's voice. She's a Canadian Music Hall of Famer, obviously singer, hello, songwriter, hello, actress. We love the Jan show and so much more. She is an animal activist. But today we're here to talk about the author, Jan Arden. And you could pretty much have a Jan Arden library this holiday season, falling backwards, feeding my mother, if I knew then. But... Do you know about the latest? This is why we want to have Jan Arden join us right now on the program. Uh, Ms. Arden, I want to talk about the Biddlemores. Well, hello there, Joey Vance. Hello there, my friend. The Biddlemores. This is your very first novel. What sparked you to take on this brand of writing after all of your successful books uh, that I just listed off there's a shelf of jan arden now uh, available at a bookstore i love this there must have been a fit of madness uh <laughs> i started this book 10 12 13 years ago i'm i'm embarrassed mm-hmm. to even say how long ago it was i feel like saying 2009 mm-hmm. uh and i just i had a, a an idea for a story and of course i wrote a little bit and then was on tour and and then a, a year later, I'd, I'd read what I wrote, and I'd write a little bit more. And, and I just thought, oh, my gosh, this is such a running joke. I really need to finish this up. So the last two, three years, I did manage to get it finished and, and, um, and, and get the darn thing published. But it's been, it really was a learning curve, and I, I had a lot of fun trying to, to figure it figure it out, like figure out how to do it. And God only knows I do like a challenge. You do. You are constantly creating this. I know about you. Now I went, I went online to, to just have a look at what the description is and I, and I've got it here. It's a, it's, and I'm quoting a heartfelt comic and deeply satisfying debut novel from the number one best-selling author, singer, songwriter, member of Canada's music hall of fame and star of her own hit TV sitcom, a little bit all creatures great and small, a little bit Fargo, and all Jan Arden. I mean, if that doesn't get you one in that under your Christmas tree, I don't know what does. Give us a little bit of a tease, a taste of what the Biddlemores brings. It is set in a rural place. I'm not sure where that is. I think a lot of people assume it's, it's Alberta, but I really don't know. It happens in a time before cell phones and big computers and uh, DNA. Um, it is a, a small farm with a, a, a man and a wife, the Biddlemores, who are very unsuccessful in, in having a child of their own. And it gets, you know, exceedingly more frustrating and they get more bitter. And anyway, when they finally do have a daughter, that daughter has a daughter and uh, runs, she runs away. Their daughter runs away. And it just sort of is the beginning of a mystery that unfolds, a cold case that happens in this small community. Um, but I think at the heart of it, it's it's what happens to people, what makes them so horrible? Like, how does a person that you meet become the way they become? So it was really a, 
a study in that for me and, and why people are the way they are. There is a lot of humor in it. There's talking cows, Jody. How can that be bad? <laughs> it cannot be bad, my friend. It cannot be bad. And there's, there's a, a hardcover book as well as an audio book that you voiced, right? Yeah, it was. Audio books are really, uh, really challenging. It's, you know, you, you uh, in a small room with a microphone for 10 hours with a director, uh, on, dialed in on the line, stopping and starting you and having you approach things a little differently. It's amazing uh, how important that role is and how important a director's role in those audiobooks are. But I think it really reads quite well like a radio play. It's, uh, I try and do some different voices, and, and, I, and I, I did enjoy it. Um, not all authors like reading their work, but I think my background in music certainly lends itself to that. So it was, it was fun, challenging, but fun. But anybody who's been to one of your live shows, you are a story, storyteller throughout. You, you know, you pepper in fantastic award-winning songs, but you, you're constantly telling tales. Yeah, I think so. I don't, I don't think writing this novel was a huge stretch. Obviously, it's not a memoir. Memoirs can be really quite, um, they don't have to be linear. Like you don't have to, when I was 10 and then when I was 11 and then when I was 12, memoirs can be very anecdotal, anecdotal and, and you can pick up and drop off any time along the way. But I think right. with, um, you know, with, with a, a novel, it, it is like little storytelling. It's, it is little vignettes of things. And, and I just had to really keep that in mind when I was doing it, when I really felt like giving up, um, I just knew that I would just have to go slowly and keep reading backwards what I was doing and, and just try and figure it out. But I think it's a real learning curve. I think storytelling is definitely an art form. And listen, this book, my editor literally cut out 40,000 words. I don't know how many pages that is, but it's a lot. You know, she said to me, listen, you, your side stories had side stories and this wasn't important. And, you know, I can either sit in a chair and be really heartbroken over something like that, or you can actually learn. You know, one thing about art, it's, it's a very collaborative thing. Even when you think it's very solitary, you're working with a group of people that are directing you and helping you. And, and Anne Collins basically said, this is not important to this story, so it needs to go. And she says, you know, do you want people to read this? And do you want people to understand the story that you're trying to tell? And my answer was unequivocally, yes. So you have to listen. You have to have humility. And you have to be willing to bend a little bit. So um, I learned a lot. I I learned a lot, Jody. And believe it or not, I've started another one. So um, who knows what, what my mind is doing. We're starting a Jan Arden Library is what we're doing here. The book out now is called The Bittlemores, and you can find it online. You can find it at your local bookstore and, and you know, move it to the front, you know, say, oh, I'm buying this, you know, love me, Jan Arden. That's what we're all doing. We're, if you post it on the social media and tag this woman, she will like and, and retweet or, or forward it because you love your fans and your fans love you. And I think it is so amazing that you're applying your art to so many things. As mentioned off the top, um, you've got Falling Backwards, Feeding My Mother, If I Knew Then, and now this novel, uh, The Biddlemores, and more to come. And you also have more um, to do on screen, uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, in our future. We miss the Jan show. I miss yeah, the Jan show. Yeah, we, we, I've been working on a, developing another television show for the last year. But um, just one more little thing about The Biddlemores yeah. before we kind of move on. It, it, it really is uh, 
a triumphant look at uh, at animals and what their lives are like. I mean, these are talking cows. So, you I know, it's, you, but, but they don't talk to people. They just talk amongst themselves. So and I think people will be really surprised at how much they're cheering for the farm animals, how much they invest in these these animals lives and their well-being. And uh, it really paints a picture. It makes us all really think about how we treat animals, how how animals are our fellow earthly travelers. And and it was I was really really glad to have that be part of the narrative of you know what really is good and evil and what makes some things less important than other things. But uh, at the heart of it, it really is a mystery. It's a cold case. I think it's. I don't know. I'm very proud of it. And I really think people will enjoy the story. The subject matter that we're going to dive into here, Jan, though, not as beautiful unless we can actually make some significant change. Let's talk about Horses Hit. Yes. Well, we're coming along. This is the live export of purpose-bred horses in Canada. It's been going on since 2006. Uh, These horses are impregnated, obviously. They're raised to be 18 months old in feedlots. They're stuck on trucks. The trucks go to Edmonton, Calgary, and Winnipeg. These horses are loaded into wooden crates with you know, netting over their heads. They can't lift their heads up. And they're flown on an 8,000-kilometer journey filled with turbulence, no food, no water, no comfort, uh, often in darkness. And they land in a little island off of Japan, and they are brutally slaughtered and served raw to wealthy clients. Now, this isn't about what you eat, and I want people to really understand that. This is about how we treat animals. And Canada has been horse country ever since I can remember. It has been horse country for a long, long time, especially in Alberta, where the Calgary Stampede reigns supreme. And we're looking, when you see a, the Stampede Parade man alive, you're looking at probably a 1,000 horses in that parade that are dressed to the nines and, and ridden by their very proud owners. But then the dark side of it, is that these horses are raised because it's a money grab, plain and simple. It's a money grab. Uh, so and yeah, you mentioned that it's not about it's not a, it's not about feeding people. It's about no. a, a, a niche of, of yeah. very wealthy people. That do they get some kind of enjoyment out of torturing an animal first? Does it make it tender for them? Like, what's the draw in Bashimi? Well, uh, it's a very hideous process, the way they're killed. I can't get in on, on the radio. I think it's, it would be far too upsetting for people right. uh, to have a, an inkling of how they are slaughtered. Now, keep in mind, there's no regulations. There's nothing like that. And horses are flight animals. They're very intelligent. You know, for the most part, they're, they're often used to comfort people that have, um, you know, autism and uh, PTSD horses. Horses are even being used in uh, long-term care homes all over yeah. the world. This Canada is, is the last foothold, and of course, we do have a private members bill that's on the floor. It's it's had its second reading, and they need to do a little more. Uh, there, there's more things that need to happen with it. But of course, the MP John Barlow from Alberta is adamantly opposing this. He said that Why? this has been based on people's emotions and that this feeds a lot of people and that it 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 uh, is something that really supports uh, the indigenous communities, which is not true at all. Uh, the, the horses hit people. We've had discussions for the last 10 years with a lot of indigenous people. Um, they have nothing to do with the horse trade uh, in Japan. And to throw them into the equation 
kind of using that as a as a a, a shield checkerboard. Yeah, yeah it, it's it's yeah. just it's just done quite blindly. And uh, John talks about it taking jobs away from hundreds of people. That is an absolute uh, fallacy. It's a lie. It is a handful of guys. It is a couple of loaders at the airport. Um, the airlines, you know, he, he's talking about it keeps the airlines afloat. Well, for one thing, it's Korean Air. And uh, the the flights have nothing to do with the financial success of Korean Air, I assure you. But this is the kind of hijinks that you'll get from this government. And uh, they're protecting their friends. And it's it really is. It's It's a money grab, plain and simple. But I really hope that uh, we do have the votes to get this passed once and for all. There's also a, a, a bill in the Senate. So, you know, I, I have my fingers crossed. No matter what happens, and I want to assure people of this, people are like, well, Jan, what happens if, if the private member's bill doesn't go through? Uh, Member of Parliament Tim Lewis from uh, Kitchener is the, is the gentleman that's put it forward. I'm like, we're going to carry on. We're going to keep fighting. We're going to step up our campaign we're going to do another petition we are going to keep rattling these chains until it's done so i don't Mm -hmm. want people to think that all of us at the horses hit uh and do the math in your head folks jody and i are saying horses hit because it's the radio folks and Mm -hmm. um but but we are going to absolutely go forward but fingers crossed uh everyone you know does use common sense to understand that they are literally going to stop the torture, the, the inhumane uh, slaughtering of very, th- these are babies. They're sending large draft horse babies over there. And it's just, it's an absolutely vile, abhorrent practice. Like I said, is Canada horse country or is Canada horse killers? And I just don't believe we can play it both ways. Um, I know I'm talking a lot, but I know our time's limited. We don't fly cows to Japan. People are like, well, they're the same as cows. Uh, No, they're not. And we don't fly cows. We don't fly pigs. We don't live export any animals with the exception of ground transport. And there's no way around that, folks. That's how those animals are moved around. This is a whole different ball of wax. Mm -hmm. These are beautifully healthy horses that are raised in feedlots with crap up to their elbows and and off they go to meet a very brutal end and it's funny because you see the cowboys round these horses up to put them on the trucks and guess what they're riding quarter horses right so didn't quickly though didn't the prime minister didn't justin trudeau promise you that this would be done well it wasn't i think that's going a bit too far i did have a meeting with him in july um he had mandated his uh, Minister of Agriculture, and this, and all she did uh, was go in circles. She's very much in the pockets of, you know, the the guys that are calling themselves farmers, and nothing ever moved. The needle didn't move, and, and yeah, Trudeau was frustrated, but we've seen that in this government. We've seen a lot of promises made and a lot of promises that have not been followed through on. And the live horse export is one of, one of the things that was thrown very late onto the pile when the liberals were, were running you know, for office, when the election was happening two years ago. So basically what Trudeau had said to me, he said, it's a money grab. He said the mandate is getting blocked at every venture. And he said, I think you guys have a much better chance with a private member's bill. 
And I just took right. them at face value. You know, I'm not making any judgments. I really am trying to be nonpartisan. I, Jody, yep. I have voted for every party over the party. last 20 years. Right. You know, I voted for them all. I'm not, I don't have this staunch, I'm not this or that or whatever. People always are trying to tell you're me for what's what my good. political... Yeah, yeah, you're I, for what's I, I good. You're common good sense. Yeah, you are a good person. I know you personally, and I can attest to that. I'm holding my hand up to say yes. Horseshit.ca. Follow Jan Arden on social media. You're going to get straight goods from this woman. Of course, you want to buy her new book, The Bittlemores. It is so great. Jan, as always, thank you. Thank you, Jody. Thank you so much. Keep on keeping on. And and happy right. holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Uh, I, I hope Santa finds you. We'll see you soon. All right. We are officially holiday party season, right? How's your schedule? What are you up to tomorrow night, the next night, the next night, then the Sunday, then the thing between Hanukkah dinners and and staff Christmas parties, company parties, uh, friend gatherings, secret Santas? All of them come with minefields when it comes to food and drink because so many of us derail our healthy habits when we hit holiday season. To help us navigate our way, we welcome back uh, often CKNW contributor, holistic nutritionist, and good friend Alyssa Bowman. Welcome back, Alyssa. Thanks for having me, Jody. Good to be here. There's so much uh, to get to here. I got pretty exhausted. I got pretty exhausted just listening to that list of late nights. I'm vibrating. (laughs) I know I have so many in the calendar, all exciting, all really great, but all of them come with that bit of, well, I just, you know, I don't want to be that person sitting at the table going, no, no, I'm going to pass on that because I had, uh, you know, the night before I indulged, you know, and then mm-hmm. people are like, what do you mm-hmm. mean you're not? And there, there is some peer pressure that comes with holidaying. Oh, there is so much peer pressure. But when I, when I hear my clients say this, I, the biggest thing I say to them is, be true to you because you're the most important thing. How do you want to feel when you wake up in the morning? So that is something that even though we feel so much pressure to drink, yes, I think booze is the number one thing that people always um, complain to me about. It's like, what do you want to drink? What do you want to drink? Can I get you a drink? Can I refill your wine? Um, Mm. The biggest thing I, I say here is to stop, pause, and before we do that automatic yes, have a water first. <laughs> as, as, it's as just that simple. As, it, it's that simple. As silly as that sounds, um, being hydrated and staying hydrated during the holiday season will get you so far. Because when we're dehydrated, not only um, our body is not functioning well, but dehydration also disguises it, itself with being hungry, giving into more food cravings, and being sluggish and tired. So we end up making poor food choices when we're dehydrated. So start off with a water, bring sparkling water, uh, bring something to keep you hydrated. And after every alcoholic beverage, if you choose to uh, booze, have another glass of water because this will really, really help with digesting all these interesting and different foods that you're eating and also um, really keep you hydrated and you won't have a headache the next morning. So, that that is key number one when it comes to indulging from the alcohol side of things. But what about mm-hmm. the pitfalls that that come our way when we're you know saddling up to the buffet? What mm-hmm. what what are the mistakes we make? Because we don't 
typically, you know, that 80-20, most people are, are eating mindfully most of the time. Most but the then time. we get up to, to that feast in front of us. What are we doing wrong? Well, choose wisely. I always, you know, tell and advise my clients to choose wisely. What are the foods that you don't traditionally get uh, during the holidays or you do get during the holidays? What is that? What is that favorite meal? What is that comfort food? What does that look like for you? You must have it. You must enjoy it. So if that happens to be, um, I'm just going to say like a, a green bean casserole, you know, with the ones with the fried onions and the creamy mm-hmm. uh, mushroom mm-hmm. soup, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Sit down. Savor it. And kind of skip the chips. Skip the cheeses. Skip all the foods that we can get all the other times and enjoy your favorite holiday foods. And enjoy it in a more mindful manner. Sit down with it, eat slowly, savor each bite, maybe perhaps put your fork down between each bite so you eat slower. Um, Try to practice being more present with your food and also with your company. I love the fact that nowhere in that explanation did you say don't eat that. Oh, yes. No, deprivation doesn't work. If we roll into the holidays, I mean, we're mid through it now saying, you know, I'm not going to have my grandmother's apple pie or whatever that may be that's traditional for you between your friends and your family, you're going to feel like you've missed out. And deprivation doesn't work. Deprivation only leads to indulgence. And maybe instead of, you know, skipping that apple pie one night, having six pieces the next night. So choose, again, choose mindfully. And if that is something that you love, have a piece of it and enjoy it. Don't, don't, you know, stand over the counter and, and hide eating it because it still counts. Enjoy right. your food. Chew slowly. And when you do these things, you will notice that you will be satiated after one piece. You won't have to go in for seconds because you're allowing your body, you're allowing yourself to um, listen to your body and, and realize that, like, that's all you really need. That is all you really need. So you're not overeating. Overeating is the worst feeling. It is the worst feeling. I mean, because by the time you're full, by the time you feel full, you're over full is sort of my thing. And I'm like, oh. And you feel terrible. You know, that whole concept of turkey pants during the holiday seasons, like we Mm. should never get to that point where we're so full, we're uncomfortable. So try to keep that in mind when you're eating. And when you naturally slow down when you eat, you tend not to eat as much because, again, you're more mindful. And that can look like one little thing. That could look like just putting, you know, if you need like a certain tool and lots of people need tools, put your fork down between every bite. It is a tool that works for many, many people, especially those who tend to eat really fast. And, you know, people don't realize that I, I've been uh, your case study before. <laughs> uh, Alyssa, Alyssa is a holistic nutritionist, uh, Alyssa Bowman. Um, you, you've likely heard her on here before. If you haven't, you should go to nourished.ca and, and look at some of the recipes that are available. Like it's uh, having been under your tutelage, just that tip of putting your fork down between bites, you don't instinctively do that. Most don't instinctively do that. And when you do, you recognize how you can slow the pace of your meal. Another big lesson I got from you was a a mistake that I was absolutely making every time as I was thinking, I'm going out tonight. There's going to be the most beautiful charcuterie board at that buffet and I'm going to love it. So I'm going to eat nothing all day. I'm going to save my calories. I'm just going to be starving going in. 
That is probably, I'm so happy you don't do that. I'm so happy you learned everything that I taught you because that is one of the worst things that we can do. Going into a party or going into some kind of celebration, going into the holidays um, at the party on an empty stomach because you will 100% overeat and you will overeat the foods that are not going to fill you up. So it will be, you know, the crackers and the chips and, and, and the foods that, you know, don't really fill you up. I want you to prioritize your protein and prioritize your veggies. So maybe you are going to a holiday party tonight. Why don't you, around 5 o'clock, have a salad, have some protein with your salad. That will keep you full. That will keep you satiated. It's the combination of protein and fiber that when you get in front of that chip plate or charcuterie board or whatever beautiful thing is, you will take a couple pieces and you will enjoy it, but you won't feel the need to overeat on that certain item because you are already have food in your system. And it also, you know, drinking on an empty stomach is also one of the worst case things that we can do because the alcohol immediately floods into our liver and into our bloodstream and we feel the alcohol much faster. So definitely prioritize your protein and your veggies and then you can get to your, you know, those, those carbohydrates that are, that keep your energy going and your blood sugar levels in check. Yeah, because you can still have all the deliciousness that's on that big buffet table. But I, and I always thought, no, I can't. I'll, going in full, I mean, I want to enjoy the food. But if you time it out just right, and as you said, you have something that, that, that fills you just to the point where you're feeling good. And then I yeah. find I'm more engaged with the people at the party. Like, I'm, instead of like, where's the food? I'm looking. At, I'm starving. Where's the food? Exactly. Revelers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you look at that buffet line or whatever it is that where you are, Again, you can you can use that order. So protein, prioritize that protein, then the veggies, and then, you know, the potatoes and the mashed potatoes and the sweet potatoes. So if you go into that order, your stomach will be lined and you will you will digest easier and you won't eat as many desserts afterwards. And it's not some you of course we can have the dessert, but you won't want any more because you are full up on the food that satiates, like the protein and the veggies. And then and then after a meal, before dessert, get outside for a walk. Take the whole crew and go outside for a bit of a walk. Get moving always helps um, digest and helps moderate your glucose levels. We're talking food. We're talking holiday party food. We're talking navigating holiday party seasons and trying to stay somewhat healthy instead of having to need dry January and need to join a gym immediately after the new year. I mean, a lot of mistakes made right now with regard to sort of moderation, um, you pay later, you know, the immediate gratification can, can be, uh, very tough three weeks, a month, two months from now. Alyssa Bowman is a holistic nutritionist and, and a touchstone here for us. when we are looking to find ways of not saying, okay, I cannot eat bread or I'm not able to drink anything, or I'm not allowed to, all of these uh, definitive no's can be eased up a little if you can just navigate things um, with a little bit of knowledge. Because Alyssa, one of the things I wanted to touch on here, because you mentioned the obvious green bean casserole being one of the decadent things, or or your grandmother's uh, apple pie, or, you know, if you're going to the Hanukkah dinner, that jelly donut. Um, But sometimes it's the salads that get you. The things that are sort of have the appearance of healthy. Oh, you're talking about fake healthy. I gotcha. Yes. Mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. There's a lot of those out there. In fact, there's a lot of foods, a lot of foods that are 
are, you know, quote unquote healthy and they're actually not very good for you and they have more saturated fat than what is deemed healthy. So if you wanted to talk about foods that you should be kind of weary of, it's those, it is the salads. It's the salads that have that very creamy uh, dressings, maybe the salads that are made with canola oils and maybe it's the dips that, you know, the spinach dip that you think may be healthy but is is high in saturated fats with lots of cream or lots of cheese or lots of lots of flavor, but we tend to overindulge in it. So while we talked about before, like you don't have to not have any of that, but you can take it in a more mindful approach to it. Maybe take a plate and put some of that spinach dip on your plate and fill your other part of the plate with vegetables to, you know, have carrots or celery and cucumbers to dip instead of, you know, that big baguette. Not to say you can't have any bread, but have it yeah. in a smaller, you know, smaller portions and really load up on, on the fibrous foods like the vegetables. You know, saying no to every food that you love does not work. In the long run, you will overindulge in it and you will feel deprived. And deprivation doesn't work. And that's why I truly believe that diets don't work. So if we learn how to eat, in moderation, we would all be much better off. And my phone wouldn't be ringing off the hook in January for everyone to go on on some kind of diet plan or some kind of detox because those things don't usually work. I mean, there is a there's a time and a place for them, but they usually these these hard approaches don't usually work because you end up feeling deprived. And the last thing anybody wants to feel, especially during the holidays, is deprived. No question. And and as you say, those those sort of cleanse type, I'm going to cut back on these, maybe I'm going to dry January, whatever it is, um, you know, those are good for a kickstart, but it has to be sustainable. And one of the other keys that you gave me to um, ensuring that I had the balance where I was never going hungry and I was I was putting I was setting myself up for success was to do something super simple, as simple, in fact, as eating off a smaller plate and also giving myself permission to refill that plate. I just have to wait in between. Waiting that you just you just nailed the head. You just nailed it because waiting before you refill, you usually you're definitely not hungry, but it's that urge to eat more. But if you just wait and have some water two, three minutes and you engage in some kind of connection or conversation, most likely you will not need seconds. I mean, obviously, go ahead if you're still hungry or if you're feeling like you, sure. you, you want to eat and you're still hungry. But it's usually you're not doing out of out of hunger, especially if you're at a party and you're roaming around. And let's say you have a lull in the moment. It's, it, it feels awkward. So we turn to food to comfort ourselves. So just take a minute, take a pause, maybe drink a glass of water before and usually you will not need those seconds. And if you love that meal so, so much, go back, fill up that plate and put it away so your seconds can be a meal at another time so you don't land yourself feeling over full and really maybe even a little bit nauseous at the end of the night. I mean, we all yep. have had that moment where we're like, oh, that was too far. As we touched on that before, I mean, it's, it's not a good feeling and it's not good for your body. When you reach that full feeling... That's a signal to your body that you, that you have overate, and your body is in absolute uh, crisis mode. You probably won't sleep very well that night if you've had it late in the evening, um, and you won't get the proper sleep, which is something I also wanted to mention. These late nights, 
Yep. And the constant calendar, the full calendar, usually the first thing that we sacrifice on is our sleep. So if you are having multiple nights in a row and some of them are being late, try to make up for that during the day, whether you can slip in a 20-minute nap or if you can sleep in at 20 extra minutes in the morning before you're before you have to get up. Sleep is essential. It is so underrated, but the more and more research is showing everything is linked back to sleep, what you're craving, um, what you want to eat, how you're feeling. When we're sleep deprived, we also make poor judgment calls on the food that we eat. Mm -hmm. We also make poor judgment calls on the drinking that we're going to do. So focus on sleep this holiday season and you will feel so much better. You know, a solid seven hours a night, Some people need eight and everybody varies, but what makes you feel your best? Because this is about feeling your best so you can be your best and show up for whatever you have to do in your life as your best self. And, and sleep is so important, sleep, nutrition, and movement. And hydration. Got it. Alyssa Bowman, always a pleasure to get an opportunity to chat with you. Nourished dot ca nourished dot ca is where you'll find more from Alyssa. thanks my friend thank you so much for having me jody have a great holiday thanks for listening to the jill bennett show podcast can't wait for the latest episode to drop tune in to the jill bennett show live from noon till three on 980 cknw have a question or comment send me an email jill at cknw.com thanks again for listening